Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 56. The, some of the provisions go further. So, for instance, on digital is a, a key area for the UK and, and equally services mobility and the ability for the companies to enable their staff to travel and work across the borders. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. And today, as part of our UK trade series, we'll be focusing on three themes what trade relationships in a post-Brexit world actually means for business, the role of trade when it comes to post-pandemic economic recovery, and also the importance of international cooperation and multilateralism when it comes to boosting global trade. This series is part of our partnership with City and Financial's next conference, the UK-Japan Free Trade Summit on the 20th of January. TFG listeners can access an exclusive discount Check out our website, tradefinanceglobal.com, for more information. Now, on the 1st of January 2021, the UK-EU Trade and Cooperation Agreement, or TCA, came into effect. We're going to be covering extensively what that means for UK trade in this podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Andy Burwell, Director for International Trade and Investment at the CBI. Andy, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Hi, Tepesh. Uh, good to have you. Thank you very much. So brief introduction and elevator pitch, Andy. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? So Andy Burwell, the Director of International for the Confederation of British Industry. I'm basically responsible for our work in supporting business on trade and investment policy with the UK government increasingly working with the government on the international ambitions for the UK as we look to kind of re-emerge, redefine our place in the world, as well as supporting uh, businesses across um, different countries and different markets around the world to kind of collaborate and to build consensus in terms of supporting the environment that we operate in. Thanks, Andy. So for our listeners, what is the role of the CBI and, and more specifically, what role has it played in UK-related trade and investment? The CBI, I suppose, first and foremost, it's, it speaks on behalf of 190,000 businesses who employ about 7 million people across the UK, including the devolved nations. And that's about a third of the private sector kind of employed workforce. You know, we're here to kind of drive positive change, uh, really kind of champion the issues that matter for business that help to kind of create jobs, support communities, and make a, a real difference in the world. In terms of uh, trade and investment, it's really about looking at how we enable and support businesses to export, to trade, and to encourage investment and that investment environment into the UK. So we have a very close relationship with government, obviously, particularly with the Department of International Trade, and they've had a hugely successful year uh, in transitioning the kind of trade deals or the continuity deals from the EU into the UK and its bilateral deals, as well as obviously uh, what we're discussing today, the Japan deal and negotiating that. So we're we're very active uh, in discussions with them in their trade policy infrastructure and ourselves and our members are very active in the advisory groups. We sit on the strategic trade advisory group within DIT as well. 
Great. Thank you very much. So we'll go into that in a couple of minutes time. How has the CBI been engaging with its 190,000 members during the COVID-19 pandemic and also through navigating Britain's new trading landscape? It's been a challenging year, uh, to say the least. And it's a challenging year for members, uh, but also for British business as a whole. So I suppose our role is kind of two ways. So one is uh, listening to members, gathering their insight, and then really kind of speaking truth to power. So really pushing that back into, into government, make sure that they understand the potential impacts of both COVID and kind of Brexit kind of policies. It is that second part of it. So it's that advising government, advising businesses, offering direct support to businesses as well through both our coronavirus hub and also our kind of Brexit hub, which has been really important. And actually, I arrived at CBI in September. And one of the things I've heard from members is really the value that they've seen in, in the support that the CBI has offered this last year and that ability to get up-to-date advice. You know, COVID still rumbles on. You know, health is, is foremost. Mental health also is a huge role for employers to play in this. And therefore, that aspect of connecting business to government is ever more important. Absolutely right. And, and even on the Brexit front, there are still lots of loose ends to tie. Can you give any tangible examples of advice uh, within the COVID and Brexit hub that, that you think businesses have, have actually benefited from the most? Even when it comes to kind of translating the JRS schemes and, and all of the, the business support, which the government's offered throughout the year, which has been warmly welcomed. Let's not uh, pretend that, that Rishi Sunak and the government have not done a, a great job this year in, in trying to balance the closures and the lockdowns with the kind of economic support they've offered, although the job isn't finished. But I think just providing that sort of clarity and the guidance has been you know really warmly welcomed and it's all in one place as well. So let's take a deeper dive into some of the recent UK trade deals and and the first in, in relation to City and Financial's UK Japan Free Trade Summit. Is the UK-Japan trade deal, the FTA, really a big deal? It is for numerous different points. So yes, it is in terms of, you know, is the UK's first trade deal? You know, if you look at the continuity deals, what we're trying to roll over, they were the deals that the EU had previously agreed before kind of the Brexit date on the 31st of January. You know, the Japan deal was was actually just after that. And yeah, therefore, it was, a, it was in a way a fresh negotiation done extremely quickly. And that's no me feat. You know, if you think about it, the UK didn't have negotiators, trade negotiators until recently. And, and Japan has been doing this for a very, very long time. The ability of government to have come to this agreement, it is very closely replicating what we have with the kind of EU-Japan economic partnership agreement with provisions that are tweaked for the UK economy. And I think for DIT and for the government, really, they should be praised for that. Inevitably, it's all about how we utilise that deal now and get businesses to understand the different provisions and what it means for them, as well as in both UK and Japan, and then to be kind of increasing trade. So it is a big deal, but fundamentally, it's how we use it. Can you give any more examples or go into a little bit more detail around the differences between the EU-Japan economic partnership agreement and the current UK-Japan one? So some of the provisions go further. So for instance, on digital is a a key area for the UK and, and equally services mobility and the ability for, for companies to enable their staff to 
travel and work across the borders. There are areas where, where companies through the CBI and through the trade advisory groups that DIT has set up, the provisions that, that have gone further are ones which, which industry asked for. Equally, there are areas of deal which kind of also depended on the, the EU deal. So for instance, bilateral kind of accumulation and rules of origin was a really key point. The EU-Japan deal and the UK-Japan deal both agreed that you know, the rules of origin kind of counted not just between each other's markets, but also diagonally, i.e. if there was components or supply chains from third countries coming through the UK, they would equally count as a UK supply chain from a, a TRQ's perspective. No, great. No, and, and I guess there are lots of uh, nuances and details that need to be considered when establishing this new agreement and hopefully a blueprint for further FTAs with the UK. Mm. Let's talk about the UK-EU trade and cooperation agreement. And uh, I don't think everyone's read the 1,246 page uh, document published on gov.uk. Do you have a view on what's been agreed uh, or, or I guess a, a bit of a summary? I equally have not read the, the 1,200 pages, but you know, what has been agreed is is hugely significant. I think in particularly for trading goods and, and for tariffs and the fact that you know, the flow of goods cross-border is tariff-free is hugely significant, but there are gaps. And um, obviously, you know, the impact of, of any deal is last minute. There would always be a few gaps. There are initial periods of grace, which were welcome. And I think reserves and stocks were built up just in case there, there wasn't that kind of tariff-free cross-border agreement. But inevitably, businesses are now needing to adjust, and that will take time. And there are teething problems. We've started actually working with government already on the areas that we feel from a CBI member perspective, where the biggest challenges are. So for instance, you know, there needs to be clearer guidance, especially around areas like rules of origin. We need to ensure that we keep borders moving and, and solve problems quickly and collaboratively between both business and also with our, our European partners that aren't included in deals. So financial services is a really good example of, I think it was predicted, um, that financial services wouldn't be included in the TCA. And those issues have been deferred. So financial services equivalents, mutual recognition of professional qualifications, data adequacy. There are a few areas like that which are hugely significant for our economy and which still need to be negotiated. So the deal basically has really great parts, but there's still areas to work on. I think the financial services agreements have been deferred to for March, but I mean, very importantly, mm. contribute you know, 7% of GDP and uh, the UK's largest service product exports. It's so pretty important that we come to an agreement uh, as soon as possible. Let's take a future looking view, and I guess stepping a little bit outside of the UK EU mm. agreement. Earlier when we discussed Japan, we noted its role in, in ASEAN and it's it's the largest contributor to the CPTPP, which represents 13% of global GDP. The UK government or global Britain, as, as we've heard, has expressed lots of enthusiasm about joining CPTPP. What's your view on that and what do your business members think about this? Yeah, you're 100% right. That significance from the Japan deal as one of the 11 signatories of CPTPP is huge because to be a member of CPTPP is a two-step process. So there are a lot of rules and standards which you have to agree to. And equally, there are bilateral trade deals with each of those 11 countries which you have to agree. And that's why also the Australian and New Zealand trade deals that are being negotiated now are so important. CPTPP itself, you've rightly talked about the significance of it uh, in terms of GDP, you know, 
13% of the world's GDP. And the deal has some of the recognized most liberal trade provisions. Now, when this was suggested initially back in, in 2018, we actually went out to members and probably they quickly flagged the fact that the investment chapter in particular kind of stood out having potentially kind of strong prospects for UK companies to develop trade opportunities off the back of kind of FDI and foreign direct investments into the market. And business were optimistic about the possibilities that that chapter could include. And equally, you know, tariffs, uh, lowering tariffs regardless is, is positive for business. Free trade is, as much as possible is what the world should be trying to achieve and, and limit protectionism. There's huge amounts of benefits. There is a question, if you've got a, a business already operating in the region, and you already have investment in the region. There are agreements in place, the ASEAN Block Agreement, RCEP, CPTPP as currently negotiated, which those companies and businesses who are multinational corporates can already tap into, depending on their kind of product uh, supply chains and the rules of origin. But more broadly for UK exports, it's got a huge potential. And we need to ensure that it benefits the whole of economy, both services, goods, uh, as well as all parts geographically of the UK and, and kind of contributes to levelling up an incredibly or increasingly complex trade landscape to navigate, especially for UK mm. corporations and businesses. So I guess with that in mind, what's the focus of the CBI in, in 2021 regarding trade and investment for your members? You know, capitalising on the independent trade policy that has been agreed. It's not just the Japan deal, it's, it's over 60 continuity deals agreed, which were obviously replicating what the UK had as part of the EU. One of the kind of stats that I like to quote is, if you look at the utilisation rates um, of the EU trade agreements when we were part of the EU, the UK business were fifth from bottom. There are only four countries worse than us utilising trade deals. And there are numerous reasons for that uh, in terms of complexity, cost, etc. We're really keen as as CBI and and working with government to really encourage business and support business to utilise the trade agreements that have been agreed, as well as supporting kind of future negotiations. Obviously, the, the US free trade agreement is is the one that comes to mind when everyone speaks of of what next as well as cptpp getting australia and new zealand over the line so it's hugely huge amount of trade policy work to do but fundamentally it's all about getting businesses to export more getting businesses to trade more and bringing the benefits back to the uk I suppose the second part of it for our members is is about this kind of UK leadership in the world. The UK is a huge opportunity here coming out of the back of Brexit and hopefully moving from crisis to recovery later in the year with COVID. We have the G7 presidency in the UK this year. There's the seven economies, democratic economies, with the most advanced economies. And we also have COP26, the climate change negotiations uh, in November. Two huge moments that the UK as a nation can show leadership in the world. And business need to be up front, out front and centre of that. We have the CBI hosted and chaired Business 7 group, which is associated to the G7 in May, and really looking towards kind of building coalitions to address the global challenges, ensure that we can work with our partners around the world as we kind of go forward and kind of look to recovery and building back better. So really, really a significant year, I think, on the international side. 
Thanks, Andy. And, and I guess that was a, a lovely conclusion in terms of, of what's next, not just for CBI, but also for UK exporters to consider in, in the coming months. And, and I guess, what would be your key pieces of advice for a small British exporter to be considering in the context of everything that's going on right now? How can they engage with the CBI or also other institutions, associations and bodies? I think firstly, it is you know, look towards growth and look outside of the borders towards growth. If you look at EU economic growth, GDP growth over the last 20 years, it's been extremely low and extremely slow compared to other markets across the world. And as the UK's independent trade policy continues to develop, there are more and more opportunities which you can tap into, such as the CBI are working very closely with government. And I would encourage business to reach out to us to have a conversation, as well as kind of utilize the digital platform that we have. So our members can tap into um, my CBI, which is a huge amount of information on kind of trade and trade deals. But equally, I'd encourage business to kind of share their experiences with others to talk to their customers, their supply chains. If I was an SME in, in, say, the north of England, I would really be looking to get advice as well from industries and companies who are out there trading with far-flung countries um, to get a sense of, of how to do it. And that's something which, as CBI, we are actively supporting amongst our members through our regional councils up and down the country. Thanks very much, Andy. I think that's a really good conclusion and advice for UK businesses trading the current, you know, somewhat complex trading landscape, which will continue to change throughout 2021. A reminder that we've partnered with City and Financial at their next conference, the UK-Japan Free Trade Summit, which is on the 20th of January, and TFG listeners can get access to an exclusive discount. Visit our website, tradefinanceglobal.com for more. And you'll also be hearing more from Andy Burwell at the UK-Japan Free Trade Agreement Summit. Andy, thank you very much for coming and joining us on Trade Finance Talks. And perhaps we'll catch up with you at COP26 in November. Yeah, no, certainly. It's been a pleasure being here and uh, look forward to uh, speaking again. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.